Good morning, church. I love you and I appreciate you. I'm excited to start a new series today. We are talking about the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about this series and particularly about today's lesson, I, I kept thinking of I always think about movies, and you guys are lucky. I don't use movie illustrations as much as I, as I want to, um, and you, you can see after I use a movie illustration how annoying I am to watch a movie with because I always want to make a theological point, so you can appreciate what my kids go through every time we watch a movie. But I was, I was thinking about The Lion King. I, I'll try not to have many spoilers, but I mean, it's been like, what, 30 years or something, so you should probably, if you haven't seen it, skip the Super Bowl, watch The Lion King, but... I was thinking about The Lion King, and I was thinking about how that movie begins with Mufasa's kingdom. And when we think about Mufasa's kingdom, I want you to think not not about the place, Pride Rock, not about the place or even the, the creatures or the characters that are under his rule and reign, but when we think about Mufasa's kingdom, think about what life is like with Mufasa in charge. Because that's how the movie begins, right? The way life is like, what life is like when Mufasa is in charge. And when Mufasa is in charge, things are good, right? Things are full of life and full of light. Things are flourishing. Things are abundant. There's food to eat. Everything is, everything is good. Everything is balanced. But then there's this, this shadow land, and there's evil that's lurking in the Shadowland. And eventually there is a, again, sorry for the spoilers, but there's a coup, and, and and Mufasa loses his life, and he loses his kingdom. And then we see the kingdom of Scar, and what life is like when Scar is in charge. When Scar is running the, the land, what is life like? And life is, is horrible. There's death, there's destruction, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's violence, and things are not good with Scar in charge. And so the the movie is about Simba, the son of Mufasa, who returns to restore the kingdom of his father, to put things back the way that they're supposed to be, to put things back like they were when Mufasa was running the world, to to restore the kingdom of his father. Now, I don't want to press the the analogy too far. I I know there's a lot of differences, but but I, I want you to kind of have that in mind as we think about what does Jesus mean when he talks so much about the kingdom of God? In fact, Jesus says that's what his life and his ministry are all about. It's all about the kingdom of God. And throughout his ministry, Jesus is announcing and is bringing the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? That's the question I want us to ask this morning. What is the kingdom of God? It's incredibly important. You can't read, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, without being confronted with this idea of God's kingdom. But we might think, well, if God's kingdom is about what is life like with God in charge of the world, then we might stop and think, well, isn't God always in charge of the world? I mean, was there ever a time when God wasn't in charge of the world? Isn't God in charge of the world right now? Isn't God ruling and reigning right now? Wasn't God always ruling and reigning? And the answer is eh, yes and no. Yes and no. This is an incredibly important concept for us to understand, but I think most Christians were at best a little fuzzy when it comes to what is the kingdom of God? What does Jesus mean when he announces the kingdom of God? What does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God has come near? 
The kingdom of God is at hand. Or when he encourages his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's how I want us to think about it this morning as we go throughout our lesson. The coming of the kingdom of God means that God is reclaiming his creation from the demonic rulers, authorities, and powers who have deceived and enslaved the world. Now, that may not be how you tend to think about the kingdom of God, but I want to I challenge you. In fact, skip the Lion King and, and go and read the book of Luke and, and pay attention to how often Jesus is confronting the demonic powers and rulers and authorities. Jesus is reclaiming God's creation from the demonic rulers and authorities and powers who have deceived and enslaved the world. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, if, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is, this is what Jesus means when he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. This is what he's encouraging you to pray for when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, that God might reclaim what belongs to him, that God might rule and reign in an uncontested way. That God would have no rebellion against him and against his rule and his reign. In fact, we see this throughout the book of, of Luke. We see this throughout the gospel accounts. Particularly, let's think about Jesus' confrontation with the devil. Luke chapter 4, we'll just read a couple verses. Luke's, or Jesus' confrontation with the devil. The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been, this is the devil speaking, it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. One translation says, I can give it to whoever I want to. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This, this gives us a glimpse of what's going on in the world, doesn't it? That the rulers and authorities on earth have given their loyalty, whether they know it or not, have given their loyalty, loyalty to the devil. And the devil says, all of these kingdoms, all of these earthly kingdoms, they're mine, and I can give them to you if you're, you will give your loyalty to me. And he's trying to deceive and tempt and trick Jesus to give his loyalty to the devil. But Jesus, of course, does it. He resists that temptation, and he gives his loyalty exclusively to his father. He won't be deceived the way other kings have been deceived. He won't be deceived the way that Adam was deceived. He won't be deceived even the way that Israel was deceived. His, his loyalty, his worship, his devotion, his allegiance belongs exclusively to his father. And he faithfully says, I, I won't worship anyone except my heavenly father. Jesus refused that temptation. But again, again, this shows us what, what the devil is doing. And the devil has all of this, all of this 
authority and power and these kingdoms of the earth belong to him. Why? Because he has deceived and he has enslaved the world. And Jesus is here to reclaim, reclaim his father's territory, reclaim humanity, to destroy the works of the devil. And he can't do that. He can't accomplish his mission of reclaiming the people, reclaiming the creation, reclaiming the Father's territory. He can't do that if he aligns himself with the devil. It might be tempting, though, might it? To align himself with the devil? To say this this might be a shortcut? And other kings would have done exactly that. But Jesus... His loyalty belongs exclusively to his father. Continuing on in in the same chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, the demon, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. I mean, if we, if we really read between the lines, we see what Jesus is doing in, in the gospel account of Luke. What we see what he's doing in all of the gospel accounts is he is waging war on the devil's kingdom. He's waging war on the devil's kingdom. He's going to war against the devil and against the demonic forces and powers. And he is winning. And what's amazing is the way that he's winning isn't by waging war on on Rome. That's that's what you might expect the Messiah to do, right? Because those those are the forces and the powers, the armies that you could see in the time of Jesus. But he's not waging war against Rome. He's waging war against the demonic forces and powers and authorities behind Rome. The one who is pulling Rome's strings. And he goes to war against the devil. He goes to war against the demonic forces. He goes to war against the the principalities in the cosmic realm, in the unseen places. And he does so not with a sword in his hand, but with a sword that comes out of his mouth. That's the way the book of Revelation pictures Jesus, isn't it? He has a sword coming out of his mouth. He doesn't wage war the way other kings wage war. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a spear. He doesn't ride in a chariot. He's not participating in the same sort of games that everybody else is playing. He's not trying to overcome evil with more evil. He's not trying to overcome darkness with more darkness. He's not trying to overcome all the violence with more violence. Jesus wages war with the sword of his mouth. He commands the demons to come out and they obey him. Why? Because he is the one with authority and power. And as we go throughout the gospel account, we see more of this. Luke chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus went with them. There's a centurion and the centurion's servant is sick. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion, this is a Roman centurion, sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. 
For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So, I mean, there's so many things going on here, isn't there? On the one hand, if, if the Messiah, Jesus, had done what everyone expected the Messiah to do in waging war against the humans, the oppressive humans, if he had gone to war against the Romans, and he could have, he could have raised an army, he could have gone to war against flesh and blood, but he didn't. In fact, even in these Romans, he finds people like the centurion of faith, of faith. In fact, so much faith that the, the, the centurion could say, this, this Jesus, this teacher, he's a man with authority. So much authority that he could say the word, and my servant will be released, will be healed from whatever is enslaving him, hurting him, capturing my servant. And Jesus says the word, and the servant is healed. And we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus even gives this power, this authority, this ability to heal and release from the powers of the, the demonic forces to his disciples. He's recruiting revolutionaries, you might say. Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's a revolution. It's a revolution against the world with God not in charge of it. The world when, when the demonic forces and powers and authorities are in charge of it. And so he is recruiting, he is recruiting revolutionaries, these disciples who will go out and in the name of the king will cast out the demonic forces. Look at Luke 10, verse 17. The 72 that Jesus had sent out returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus sees the kingdom of the devil crumbling, crumbling at his word and at the word of the disciples that he has given this authority to. Now, I mean, we could even skip ahead to the other side of the cross and the other side of the resurrection. In fact, we could skip ahead to right this moment. And don't we believe that we too have been recruited as revolutionaries in this battle? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, listen, we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. I know, I know sometimes you think that it is. And you think that the people that you can see the people that are doing harm to others, the people that are doing evil, I know you think your battle is against them and I know you're tempted to fight against them and wrestle against them, but we don't do war against flesh and blood. Our battle is not with them. In fact, you could say they are prisoners of war. They have been deceived and enslaved by the evil one. So our battle, our battle, Paul says, is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our battle lies. 
you and I have been recruited as kingdom revolutionaries as well. And we are doing battle against the evil one, not with a sword in our hand, but with the word of God in the name of Jesus. That should make us unafraid and realize what it is that we are a part of. Continuing on, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now, he was teaching, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are, pay attention to this word, you are freed from your disability. That word is is like loosed or untied or unbound. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which to work, in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Verse 15, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, which means you pretenders, you actors, does not each of you on the Sabbath... Here's that same type of word, untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Because if you have, if you have an animal who's tied up, and your animal who's tied up needs a drink, you're going to untie them even on the Sabbath day and lead them to water. And here's a woman who for 18 years has been tied up by the devil. She's been bent over. She's been disabled because of the rule and the reign of the demonic forces, because of the rule and the reign of Satan. She's been bound up, tied up by him for years and years and years and you're okay with me untying a donkey but you're not okay with me untying her and I've untied her I've unbound her I've freed her I've loosed her you see that Jesus goes on to say this is what the kingdom of God is all about This is what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what it looks like. See, so many people of Jesus' day, they were waiting for a Messiah who would come and untie them from the rule and the reign of Rome. And yeah, you're right. Rome was horrible. And living bound up by Rome was awful. But there was a a binding, a tying up force, power that was even greater than Rome. In fact, the Romans themselves were bound up by Satan. The whole world was bound up by him. And coming and killing a bunch of Romans wasn't going to solve the problem. In fact, it would just make the problem worse. So Jesus shows up and he says, this, this is what it looks like when the kingdom arrives. It looks like people being healed. It looks like people being set free. It looks like people being untied one life at a time. And what Jesus is doing for this one woman is a picture of the kingdom of God. In fact, every time Jesus heals the blind, 
or raises the dead or forgives sins, what he's doing for that one person is a picture of the kingdom of God. Here's what he goes on to say, verse 18, same chapter. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. I mean, I love, I love this parable, don't you? I mean, think about it for a second. Think about this tiny little mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds you could imagine, tiny little mustard seed, and you hold it in your hand, and you said, this can be the home for a bunch of birds. You said, that's silly. That tiny little seed, how can I mean, that be a home for a bunch of birds? There's not even a home for one bird. It's a tiny little seed. Just give it time. Just give it time. Take that tiny seed and you plant it in the ground and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. And eventually it's going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. And Jesus says that's the way it is with the kingdom. And I know, I know as it's showing up and you see what I'm doing and you hear what I'm saying, you say, how can this, how can this change the world? This what you're doing, Jesus, how is this going to change the world? It's not even going to change Israel. How is this, how is this how God is going to bring his rule and reign into the world? How is this how God is going to bring back life and light and flourishing and abundance? This is how it's going to come about through what you're doing? Jesus says it's like a seed. It's going to come about like that. And you got to plant it. And you've got to wait, and you've got to wait, and you've got to wait. And eventually, the birds of the air, not just one kind of bird, but all kinds of different birds, this multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual family, there are going to be birds from every nation that come and make nests in its branches. But when it begins, when it starts, it's going to look tiny. It's going to look inconsequential. It's going to look insignificant, but just you wait. And there's a sense in which we can see both the result already, and there's also a sense in which we still have to embrace this mentality that this is the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom, the way God takes over the world, the way God reclaims what belongs to him, doesn't happen the way that other kings bring about their kingdoms. It doesn't happen the way the world's powers and authorities operate. It comes about like a tiny little seed. You just plant that little seed and you just wait. You just follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I know, I know other people are going to say, and you're even going to think to yourself, how can this change the world? We got to kill some people. We got to wage some war. We got to be strong. We got to fight. We got to do this. We got to do that. And Jesus says, that's the way the kingdoms of the earth operate. But the kingdom of God isn't like that. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that gets planted. And when you plant it, you think this will never come to anything. But before you know it, the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. Look at verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? He says, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. The NIV says in 60 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. You see? He says, this is the way the kingdom of God operates. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's small. 
It's tiny. It's like this little bit of yeast that you hide in a, in a huge amount of dough. And you think, how, how could that little bit of yeast, how could that little bit of leaven, how could that affect the entire lump of dough? And Jesus says, just give it time. Just give it time. Keep being loyal. Keep being faithful. Keep following me. Keep doing what I'm doing, and the kingdom of God will affect everything. It will change everything. This is how God is reclaiming what belongs to him. It isn't coming about the way you thought it was going to come about. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is less like the kingdoms of the world and more like a mustard seed. It's less like the kingdoms of the world and more like a woman taking a little bit of leaven and hiding it in a lump of dough. 60 pounds of flour. It's hidden. It's small. Sometimes it's completely unseen. And don't you know, you operate that way in your school. You operate that way in your workplace. Some of you operate that way in your family. You, you get to be part of this seed planting. You get to be a part of this leaven that is influencing and affecting the whole lump just by your presence and by your loyalty to King Jesus. And you're going to have moments where you think, this couldn't possibly affect the whole world. This isn't even going to affect my whole family. This isn't even going to affect my whole workplace. And Jesus says, just give it time. Because the kingdom of God is a whole lot less like the kingdoms of the world and more like a seed being planted or more like leaven being hidden in a lump of dough. So we could put it this way. Jesus is recruiting kingdom revolutionaries and reclaiming creation one life at a time. Isn't that what he's saying? The context is this woman who has been bound up by the devil for year after year after year after year, and Jesus sets her free. One life at a time. Jesus is reclaiming God's territory. One life at a time, Jesus is reclaiming God's creation. And Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if any of you are in Christ, you are new creation. You've been reclaimed one life at a time. You think, what, what difference does this make? Well, we've given it 2,000 years, and now there are followers of Jesus all over this globe. There are millions of us. And it all started with a tiny little seed that got planted. A little bit of leaven that got hidden in the flower. And you get to be a part of that. You are recruited to be kingdom revolutionaries. And that's what we are. Because every time you walk by the Spirit instead of the flesh, you are being a revolutionary. Every time you say, my life is going to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, you are rebelling against the forces of darkness and evil. You are rebelling against the way that the world is. And you're saying, I'm going to live in light of the way the world will be. I'm going to live in light of the gospel. Jesus has reclaimed you and recruited you 
to be part of his kingdom revolution. And every moment where you live loyally to Jesus, in spite of what the world is doing, every moment that you live faithfully to Jesus, you are rebelling against the forces of darkness. And we get to be a picture, a glimpse, a sneak peek. This is what it looks like when God is in charge. When they look at you in your workplace, when they look at you in your school, when they look at you in your family, they ought to look at you and think, is this really the way it's going to look when God is in charge of everything? It should be. That's the commitment to which we are committing ourselves when we're baptized, isn't it? Not only asking Jesus to forgive us, but to set us free, to unbind us, to, to liberate us from the rule and the reign of the evil one. So that when we come up out of that water, we're not going to be perfect, but we are going to be faithful. We're going to be loyal to him. We're going to live out the kingdom principles. We're going to live out a kingdom way of life. We're going to live under the rule and reign of God. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready for Jesus to set you free. You're ready to commit your life to him in baptism and be set free from the rule and the reign of the demonic forces. Or maybe you need to come back to him because you've wandered away and gone back to that other life and you're ready for him to set you free once again. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are here for you. Our shepherds would love to pray with you or you can come forward now. Let's together we stand. Let's sing this song.